0: Here this morning. It's good to be home, uh, for sure. This church has uh, been so good to us, and uh, thank you, Dennis, for that. It almost started sounding like a eulogy. I was getting kind of worried. Um, but uh, and normally, when I stand up to preach, people walk out like that too. So I don't know what I don't know what to expect. Uh, Ken came up to me. Other, he said, now, I'm going to be recording this and. And uh, kind of like asking permission, I said, You don't understand. Uh, we're from the Philippines where dogs get in fights when you're preaching, so nothing's going to bother me at all. But uh, it's really good to be back home. It's good to see some people I hadn't seen for a long time, Mike. Glad that you're here, too, man. What a, what a day in the life of this church, amen? amen. On January 8th, 1870, 11 charter members. And the Reverend Jenkins took a step of faith and obedience and joined together because of their love for the Lord and their need for each other and the spread of the gospel in this place. Amen? They took a step, not knowing, but trusting. Reverend Jenkins was born in 1808, which means... He had and therefore this church had because when he would stand up before those first members and preach and give illustrations, he was giving illustrations and, and those first believers there would hear stories about people who were born before this country was. What a heritage. Wendy and I understand a little about the excitement and struggles of new groups coming together to be the first ones to believe and stand and follow, so I can assure you that those first months and years that this church met together, that was not an easy thing to do. Being first is always hard. Starting something is always hard, but just living in 1870 was hard. That was just five years after the Civil War. Life was hard, and so much has changed since then. I had fun just kind of looking back at what all had changed. You know, in 1870, the life expectancy in America was 40 years old for males, 42 years old for females. The population of America was just 38 million. Our flag only had 37 stars. The Transcontinental Railroad had just been finished the year before. Only 20% of the population in America in 1870 could read and write. 1.7% of students or young people between the age of 18 and 21 went to college. There was no electricity, no light bulbs, no record players, no telephones, no typewriters, no planes, no cars, no can openers, and not even blue jeans. And uh, if there's any young people in here, uh, you know, everything you read on the internet's true, you know. And I read a recent tweet done by Abraham Lincoln that back then there were not even iPhones. <laughs> there was no Tom Sawyer and no Huckleberry Finn. And no one had ever even heard of the Jesse James gang because they weren't around yet. If you could have been a part, if we could have been a part of those first worship services that took place in 1870 and those years, then you may have sung some fairly new songs like Rock of Ages and Just As I Am But churches were not yet singing some of our favorite hymns like Softly and Tenderly Jesus is Calling and I have decided to follow Jesus and How Great Thou Art. It would be five more years, 1875, before Fanny Crosby would write the song To God Be the Glory. And a few years later when she would write Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus Our Blessed Redeemer. In 1870. The Southern Baptist Convention was only 25 years old and it only met 15 times up to that point. The Sunday school board was located in Memphis, Tennessee. There was no WMU. There was no cooperative program. There was no Lottie Moon Christmas offering because Lottie Moon had not yet gone to China. In fact, in 1870... I wrote the archives department at the International Mission Board, and this is what they told me. The Foreign Mission Board in 1870 only had 10 missionaries serving in three countries, and the yearly budget for that year was $2,370. So much has changed since 1870. Amen? And if... Our world tarries another 150 years, and if the Lord does not come back before that, then I'm sure that our world will look much different than it is now. Things have changed. Things will change. But I want to talk this morning for a few minutes about three things that have not changed and will not change. So this must be where we focus our lives And where this church must focus all that we have and all that we are. Because why? Because the eternity of future generations in this community and around the world hang in the balance depending on how we focus our lives on these things that do not change. Our continued faith and obedience... To the Lord really does matter. First thing that I want to talk about this morning that I want us to think about is that God does not change. Amen? Amen. In fact, the scripture says in Malachi 3.6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Change. We must continue to seek to know this God who has revealed Himself to us in the Bible. He is a gracious God, a loving God, a faithful God. He is the God who is always before us, in front of us, and with us. He is a good God. He is the God who knows all, owns all, and is everywhere present all the time. He is the God of all wisdom. He is a just God whom we should fear. He is the God who inhabits eternity while holding all of eternity in His hand. Let me ask you, do you know this God? Do you know Him personally? Do you love Him supremely? Are you worshiping Him wholeheartedly? A.W. Tozer said this, and it's quite a lengthy quote, and I want you to listen. I think it's really, really good for us this morning. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. He goes on to say, Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, he says, the most important question before the church is always God Himself. And the most important fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Listen to this. This is good. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian but of the community of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid, for her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. She can never escape the self-disclosure of her witness concerning God. In other words, what we think about God is really, really important. And who we think he is determines who we become individually and as a church. There's always a danger, listen, there's always a danger of creating a God into our own image. Some have said that many now in the American context, view God as something like a combination of a divine butler and a cosmic therapist. He's always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps His people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. This type of of worldview has been described by some as moral, theistic, Deism, and that's what some would say that how that the practice that is taking place, no matter what the label of our church says, whether it says Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, that a pervasive worldview that's taking place in America is what some would term as moral theistic deism, which believes some things like this. Number one, that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. Kind of sounds like upward sports to me. As taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, I like upward sports, by the way. The, number three, the central goal of life According to this worldview, is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And then, lastly, this worldview uh, is lived out by this belief that good people go to heaven when they die. Pretty scary. In other words, if this is the God that I serve, if this is the God that we begin to serve collectively, then as long as I am somewhat outwardly moral and even regularly attend church, I can live for myself, I can live for my comfort, and I can live out my own ambitions. In other words, there's no need For holiness, repentance, and radical obedience that is characterized by Jesus' words when he said, if you come follow me, you will pick up your cross and you will follow me. And listen, with this God on the throne, obeying the great commission becomes an option or a suggestion. And And when I do obey the Great Commission, then it is only done for my own benefit, not for the glory of God and the rescue of the lost. You see, with this type of worldview, with this type of belief system that I think we must fight against, then I can follow Christ and I can keep the world. I can do both. And Jesus said we couldn't do both. I can have unlimited wealth and fame and as long as I put a scripture verse on my shoe or point to heaven when I score a touchdown then I'm okay. And the danger is is we idolize Christians like this. For you see these kind of Christians affirm the kind of God that we have created. And it legitimizes our own lifestyles. You see, God does not change. And we must worship the God of the Scriptures. His story, number two, His story also does not change from beginning to end, the narrative of Scripture is this. This unchangeable God being proclaimed and known and worshipped among every language group in the world. From Genesis to Revelation, this all nations theme gives our lives a context and a purpose to live and a direction to walk. Let me repeat that. From Genesis to to Revelation, this all-nations theme gives our life a context and a purpose to live and a direction to walk. Genesis 12, 3, the great commission of the Old Testament, God said that if Abram would leave and go to a land that he would show him, he would bless him and he would be a blessing, what? To all nations. That same command and promise was was repeated throughout the law, it was sung about in the Psalms, and God continually sent prophets to remind the nation of Israel about their blessing and their responsibility. And I think sometimes that we, uh, sometimes people have described this, uh, these Great three verses to Abram as a top line blessing and a bottom line blessing. And the, the top line blessing is I will bless you. The, and then the bottom line is that you will be a blessing. Actually, that's a command. And when when God spoke to Abram, he said, I will bless you now, you be a blessing to the nations. In the New Testament and every the New Testament believers and every preceding generation of believers that have understood this story, understood this, this great, unchanging story of reaching the nations and, and obeyed and walked forward, God has mightily worked in and through them. A.T. Pearson, he, uh, by the way, was a contemporary of Brother Jenkins who helped start this church. He actually was the first one that began to coin the term Great Commission. The church was not using that term, or at least the American church, of the Great Commission. And when he would talk about the Great Commission, he would not only talk about Matthew 28, 18 through 20, but he talked about the Great Commissions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, acts. and when we look at all five of these together, it gives us a complete picture of what the Great Commission is. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the verses that we are familiar with, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, what? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you Even until the end. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and I will be with you even until the end of the age. Matthew in this scripture gives us the methodology of how this would happen. That as we go, we proclaim and we baptize those who believe. And we teach them to obey everything that the Lord has commanded us to do. In Mark... In Mark 16, 15, Jesus wanted to make sure that they knew that this gospel was to go to every person. He said, take the gospel to every creature. And I I saw a Facebook page several years ago now that, uh, that was called Follow the Coke Truck. And I began to research, what in the world are there? It was a Christian Facebook page because Coca-Cola's vision is what? That every person in the world would taste of Coca-Cola. And they are serious about their vision. And, and, and we have been in some remote places. We have been in places with no electricity, but there's always Coke there. Coke has always beat us there. And so... This this, uh, Christian group said, well, if we want to finish the Great Commission in our generation, what we really need to do is just follow the Coke truck. Because Coke is serious about that. But Mark, in Mark, Jesus gives us the magnitude that we need to make sure that every person on the planet has an opportunity to hear the gospel. In Luke 24, 44 to 48, uh, it explains to us the message that this message that we go preaching is a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. In John 20, 21, the Great Commission there gives us the model that as the Father has sent me, so I send you. We go out serving those that we're among. Acts 1:8 gives us the means that through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that this Great Commission is can be accomplished. And it's part of this great story, this story that's unchanging. And someone asked William Carey one time how he was called into missions. He responded by saying, I was called into missions because of an open Bible and a map on the wall. You see, William Carey understood who this unchanging God is And William Carey understood also what this unchanging story, this this epic, this narrative that our lives must fit into. William Carey understood, like Isaac Watts, that this Christ, this message of the cross, and this hope for all mankind demanded his soul, his life, and his all. The conclusion of this unchanging story to reach all nations is found in Revelation 7:9, where we get a picture that one day there will be people from every tribe and language and nation and people that will be around the throne. This is what some have referred to as the north star or the plumb line of Scripture that keeps us walking straight and moving forward individually and as a church so on this beginning of the celebration of 150 years we must seek more than ever to know this unchangeable god amen Amen. and align ourselves to his unchangeable story amen and thirdly our our purpose Not only is God unchangeable and this story is unchangeable, but our purpose does not change. From from the beginning, God has always had one message that through repentance and faith alone in His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, is salvation. There's only one message and there's always been one means to deliver this message and that is through us. That's through the church. In Ephesians chapter three, if you have your Bible or your phone, open your phone. That sounds really strange, doesn't it? Ephesians chapter three. In the proceed in verses one going to about first Six, Paul is talking about this mystery, this mystery. What is this mystery? He said this mystery is the gospel, that this gospel is for the Gentiles or for the nations. And then he concludes these great verses of, of 1 through 9 with verse 10 where he says this, This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through what? Through the church. Who's the church? Us. That this gospel to the nations, this gospel to the Gentiles would be made known through the church. And I like this verse 11. This is according to his eternal. Purpose, or some translations say His eternal plan. It's always been God's plan. This plan is unchanging. The message has always been repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone is the only hope for the world. And the means to deliver this message has never changed. It's always been through the church, through us. Amen? What a privilege that we have to live in a time like we live Today, where there are more people on the earth that have ever lived on planet earth before. 7.3, 7.4 billion people on earth now. There has never been that many people on earth at any one time. And we as the church have the awesome privilege to make sure that they hear this message. Those that live close to us and those that live far away. How then, Romans 10, 14, can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they believe unless someone preaches to them? This gospel can only be believed on if people hear the gospel. A statement that has meant a lot to me over the last few years, and as it seems like more and more uh, try in vain to figure out where God's sovereignty and man's free will cross. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I just know that God is sovereign and I know that man has free will. And and here, here is a statement that I heard has meant a lot to me that man cannot without God but God will not without man. Let me say that again. Man cannot without God But God will not without man. And I I think immediately of the story of of Moses. The people of Israel had been in slavery for over 400 years. And finally, that after that period of time, God breaks into history once again, appears to (laughs) Moses and says these words. Listen, Moses, I have seen their misery. I have heard their cries. And I have come down to rescue them. That's what God is saying. And then... Then the the table turns, and he says to Moses this, Now, Moses, you go rescue them. Now, I'm not too smart. And I said, wait a second. Who is doing the rescuing here? God or Moses? And the answer is God and Moses. Both. Could Moses have rescued the children of Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh on his own? Could he have done that? No. Moses could not have done it. Now, could God have done it without Moses? No. Sure. He could have done it, but God will not. God chooses somehow in His sovereignty that we come as His co-laborers, is what the New Testament says, that He has chosen to work in and through the church. And listen, that plan has never changed. God is not up there with a big whiteboard saying, plan A, plan B, plan C. Oh, I really don't know what's happening down there on earth. It has always been His plan that now through the church that this message would be made known to the Gentiles. What an awesome privilege we have. There's only one God, this unchangeable God, so we must love Him supremely. Amen? Know Him intimately and worship Him wholeheartedly. There's only one story, and it ends with the gospel being made known among every tribe and language on earth. And so we must align our stories with his story. You see, this life is not about us. For, for you Lord of the Ring fans, I love Frodo and Sam, and they're walking down the road. They're beginning to see that this story is bigger than they are. They begin to see that, that they are becoming an important part in this story. And, and they begin to question what all is going on. And one of them asked the other in, in somewhat confusion, but they said, what kind of tale, what kind of story have I fallen into? And listen, we have all fallen into this unchangeable story. The story's not about us. It's about him, and it's about the gospel being spread here, and the gospel being spread to every people and language and tongue and nation across the earth. There's only one vehicle in which the story is proclaimed to those near and far, and it's us. So, listen, our lives really do matter what a group of 12 people did 150 years ago really did matter amen wouldn't you say that who we are and whose we are today listen really is important for this generation and for the next generations. Don't forget, I'm I'm not sure what those original 11 plus Brother Jenkins thought about back then. Maybe they were not thinking at all about us, but I think we should. We should think about the next generation. 50 years and 80 years and 100 years because our faith and our obedience and our faithfulness being full of faith really does matter for now and it really does matter for future generations. Amen? Amen. And in closing, as I was praying and preparing about what I might say today, I couldn't help but think about the story of Moses. Moses sending out the 12 spies to explore the promised land. They all came back. I thought that was kind of significant, 12. They all came back having seen the same thing, ate the same fruit, but only two believed that their God was big enough and that God's word to their descendants was unchanging And his promises were sure. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, understood that what they did really mattered to and affected those around them. So, for those of you that are young, I want to close with Joshua's challenge. These are the words that Joshua spoke in uh, Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, verses 7 to 9, they've come back from exploring the land. I'll start with verse 6. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Afraid of them. He had faith in a God that was unchangeable. He he believed God's unchangeable word. And he knew that how he responded to that really would affect those with him and future generations. And I'll also leave for those of us that are chronologically challenged, a little older, Caleb's words... Joshua chapter 14, verse 7. This has been, this is after they've spent their 40 years in the desert. And Caleb says this, starting with verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea, to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart. But I followed the Lord my God completely or wholeheartedly. On that day, Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever because you have followed the Lord my God completely." And then verse 10. Now I know there's uh, there's a few older people in here and you have been you have been the the cornerstone of this church now for years and years. What I want to say to you is don't stop now. Don't stop looking forward. Don't stop pressing on. Don't stop advancing. Here is Caleb. Listen to him. Let these words challenge. Let Joshua's word challenge the younger generation. Let Caleb's word challenge those of us who are going to middle age and older Caleb says this, As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, he said, 85 years old. And I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. Now, I don't know if that was really true or not. You know, he may have been standing there with a walker. We don't know. My strength for battle and for daily task is now as it was then. And listen, here he is. He's not wanting some place to retire. He's not wanting to go play golf every day, collect seashells by the seashore. He says, now give me this hill country. The Lord promised me on that day. Now, this is not some normal hill country. This is the hill country because you heard, it continues, then that the uh, Anakim are there. Who who were the Anakim? They were the giants. And they were still there. The giants were still in the hill country, in the mountains. And here is Caleb 45 years later, 85 years old. And he is saying, listen, I still serve a God who is unchangeable. I still understand that this story, these promises that God has given me is unchangeable. And I know that even though I am 85, that my life really does count. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day because you heard then that the Anakim are there as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. Listen, what? How we respond to this unchangeable God and how we align ourselves in this unchangeable story will determine the future, the next 50 and 75 and 150 years of this church. May it not be. God forbid that 150 years from now that this church is just another story on the pages of history because we as young people and we as older people were not faithful to him. Amen? C.T. Studd, who spent the last years of his life in Africa, he gave up fame and wealth, and when he was 52 years old, he embarked on a journey to Africa, and he lived there for the next 30 years of his life. He died alone in Africa, But let his words speak to us today as I close. He said this, Let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I think that Caleb would stand up and say amen to that. Let me ask you today, do you know our unchangeable God? Do you have a personal relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ? If you don't, then I invite you today to surrender your life, to to repent of your sins and to place all of your life at His feet and ask for forgiveness, believing that His death, his burial, his resurrection has paid in full everything that you've ever done or ever will do and to surrender your life to him. Do you know him? If you know him, are you aligning your life with his story or are you just living your own story? Are you making up a story? And let me tell you, if you're making up a story, it's a whole lot smaller story And you could be living if your life were aligned with his story. And then I want to ask you, are you blowing the trumpet loud and long? Doing that near and making sure that that trumpet is blown long and loud to those who have never heard the gospel. Would you stand with me and would you pray? I pray for my friends. I pray, God, that if there is someone here that does not know You, that today the same the same gospel was preached 2,000 years ago and the same gospel that was preached 150 years ago in this town is still being preached. And I pray that they would respond by faith in You. And God, I pray for those of us that do know You, that, Lord, we would really, really, really understand this unchangeable story and this unchangeable means by which this story is proclaimed to the whole world. And God, we would not write our own stories, but we would submit to, the, to you who writes the story and makes history. So Father, I thank you for the faithful people who have come before and I pray God that you would bless this church. I pray God that that this church would do supernaturally what it cannot do on its own. That it would be a light, it would be salt in this community and God, it would continue to give and pray and Lord, missionaries would be called out of this place to go to the ends of the earth. And Lord, 50 years from now, A hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, life would still be being impacted because of what's taking place right now, right in this place, in this generation. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We worship you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.